0: Welcome to the Small Business Edge Podcast with Brian Moran. Sponsored by Pitney Bowes. Now here's your host, Brian Moran. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Small Business Edge Podcast. I'm Brian Moran. Today, I want to welcome Jeff Foster to our show. Jeff is the founder, CEO, and president of Core Technology Molding Corporation, an injection molding solutions provider with clients in the automotive, aerospace, medical device, pharmaceutical industries, and more. Today, Core Technology Molding Corporation has customers in 150 countries. And I am excited because not only is Jeff the first person I've ever had on my podcast from the molding industry, but he also has an amazing story to tell. So with that, I want to welcome to the Small Business Edge podcast, Jeff Foster.
1: Thank you, Brian. Thanks for
0: having me, and thanks for the introduction. Absolutely, Jeff. So, just to give my listeners some background, um, Jeff and I met last year through our mutual friend Fields Jackson, who, if some of you know him, is probably one of the greatest connectors that God ever put on this earth. And and I see I see Jeff smiling right now yeah. uh, because if you if you know Fields, that's what he does. And um, so when we would get on these Zoom calls, I, I kept hearing Fields say, you know, oh, and Jeff won this award or Jeff won that award. And he would send out emails, recognize him. I said, you know what? I got to figure out what this guy, Jeff Foster does, because the only award that he didn't win in 2020 was an Oscar. <laughs> and, and I have a feeling that he's going to add that to his, his shelf at some point in the future when, when somebody writes his life story. Yeah, you know, Jeff, your business, it definitely went against the grain uh, in 2020. And that's my first question to you is, why don't you start by telling our listeners a little bit about your company, what you do, you know, when you got started, and and then I want you to tell us why you started your business.
1: Sure. And I I like to tell that background just because it, it helps people understand why I started Core Technology. Um, I went to North Carolina A&T in Greensboro, North Carolina, and got a BS and master's there. And then I went on to Wake Forest and got my MBA. Um, but while I was there, I was an engineer um, designing parts for Ford. So 20 years ago, when I was designing parts for Ford, there was a problem with a leak with one of the connectors. It was actually shorting out vehicles in the Louisville, Kentucky plant. hmm My task was to fix the problem within a week's time. I designed a new part and was awarded a U.S. patent, but that was really just part of my job, just fixing problems. However, my employer gave me a a nice $99 plaque from the U.S. Patent Office, and Ford Motor Company actually paid my employer $31 million for the idea.
0: (laughs) Wait, wait, wait. Stop stop right there. All right. So, you got a patent for a a product that you designed and your company sold it to, they sold it to Ford Motor company for $31 million. Right. So, and, and how old are you at this time? Right now I'm 53. No, no, no. How old were you when you designed this patent? Oh, the, 28. You're 28 years old and and they gave you a $99 plaque?
1: Yeah. Did you, know, did you at
0: least get a steak dinner out of it?
1: No, no, no steak dinner. Just the, uh, just oh the plaque and, uh, But I got to tell you, Brian, it really motivated me to start my own company. And I always said, uh, you know, if I have more creative ideas and I want to be innovative, I want to start a company and, you know, create something that's patentable. So we started Core Technology in 2006. And then I kind of fast forward 14 years and we developed a a pretty amazing list of companies that are our clients. And we are really enjoying it, you know, as a tier one providing parts. Um, to 150 countries around the world.
0: That's incredible. So when you were going to graduate school, were you thinking, I'm going to work for a a big company my whole life, or did you have any entrepreneurial aspirations? I really had no
1: desire to be an entrepreneur until my last semester at Wake Forest getting my MBA. I really thought I was just going to stay in corporate America and move up the, the food chain. And that was exciting to a certain degree, but I always felt like I was limited with my creativity. And I always felt like I hit the ceiling, you know, six months into a, a new role where uh, I was in a box
0: and yeah. I didn't like
1: that feeling.
0: Yeah. And and I guess that when, <laughs> when, when you saw that they sold your patent for $31 million, I guess that was kind of, okay, that first one's on me, right? Like, right? It's like buying, it's like buying drinks for the bar, right? You know, okay. The first round's on me. And then after that, you know, you're on your own.
1: Yeah, but it, I tell you, it was a good eye-opening experience because I saw that I had some level of creativity and sure. I was able to present that to every Ford plant in North America. And then I would travel to you know the Ford plants in Spain, uh, Germany, and do presentations in Portugal. So I, I saw two things, Brian, where I was able to come up with a creative idea and then roll that out globally to our customers. And now Ford is a client of yours today? Yes, we're actually making parts for Ford Europe today. We've been doing that for about five years. That's
0: fantastic. That's such a great story. And And that's the story that I heard. And it's no wonder you're winning all of these awards, but there's so much more to your company than just your innovative design and innovative thinking. So, I, that's, I also want to get into that. So wh- what kind of year was 2020 for your company? You know, a lot of companies, a lot of manufacturing companies had to pivot. Um, and I imagine that a lot of your workers work on site. So how did that work? And And were you able to set up people working remotely? Tell me. Right. So yeah
1: 2020 was a crazy year started out super busy with aerospace and as you can probably imagine by april nobody was flying anymore so that business completely stopped but in may bmw closed down all of their plants globally and we're 30 percent bmw so the south carolina germany china russia and south africa that we shipped to they were closed for 30 days Uh, whirlpool was closed for 30 days So when some of our larger customers are closed like that, um, we actually pivoted very quickly. We built new molds in two weeks time we were making face shields and we shipped those all over the country to dental schools, to medical schools, to universities for their professors, for students. So we pivoted uh, very quickly, but we actually had a a fine product that um, that was used for PPE. And we were very proud to uh, deliver that
0: now was that as a result of your clients and new clients coming to you or is that something that you said let's get into the ppe business and find out who we can sell us to
1: no they actually came to us and said hey you're doing medical stuff you have clean room capability do you guys think you could do something like this so it was a time that you know we were having uh concerns about how we're going to keep people employed we actually hired more people just to do assembly. But that was a time where we had a new ERP system where some of our employees could actually monitor production, can monitor manufacturing materials remotely. Mm-hmm. So there are some employees with children who had to stay home um, because they were homeschooling, but they were able to do that remotely and we could really manage the manufacturing process. Um, some people weren't even here. We put protocols in place. Um, to check temperatures daily, clean every workstation, so none of our employees uh, contracted COVID nineteen.
0: Wow, you're like the model for what an entrepreneurial company should have done in 2020. I guess that begs the next question: You know, what kind of you mentioned you you, you implemented a new ERP system. Were there other financial investments you had to make in your company? to adequately provide for your employees?
1: Well, I tell you that the ERP system was the largest investment we made at the end of 2019. So that ERP system cost more than some of our machines actually. Wow. So that gave us, um, because we're running five shifts, that really gave us the transparency that we could remotely look in from home or if we're in Germany or anywhere else. So that was really the the biggest investment. The other investments were small, you know, with sanitized stations uh, all over the plant, cleaning, cleaning, cleaning. That was really just to keep our employees safe, keep their families safe, and then investing in, you know, uh, thermometers where we're checking temperatures frequently around the plant. All
0: right, So, so here you are, it's 2020, and March and April, all your clients shut down, right? For 30 days or 60 days or 90 days. Um, and now you have to invest in technology and cleaning products and sanitized stations for your employees. Um, what kind of financial strain did that put on your company and, and how did you respond? Did you participate in PPP or EIDL?
1: So that put a real financial strain. However, we did participate in the PPP And that was really a blessing where we're able to keep everybody working and we weren't as concerned about, hey, you know, we got to pay rent this month or we got to pay electricity. You know, we consume a lot of energy here running 24 hours a day. Mm -hmm. So that's one of our largest bills. So when the PPP was able to help us with the rent and the electricity and utilities for two months, that really helped jumpstart us. And when we took off, we never missed a beat. And then when the other plants opened up, um, our customers opened back up, we were ready to go. We were trained up and we uh, actually uh, had a pretty good turnaround time where our customers didn't miss a beat. We were actually able to build up some inventory over those 30 days. So we were in very good shape after um, receiving the PPP loan.
0: That's awesome. And that's exactly what it was designed for. Right. But, you know, you, you again, you're, you're kind of the, the, the standard for what the PPP program was all about. You know, here's a successful company, a growing business that got sideswiped by COVID. And here we can't here the government can come in and, and help a business out, uh, you know, stay in business, keep your employees working. And um, look at you at the end of 2020, I'm I'm assuming you had a a productive year, right? We did have a productive
1: year and something that's really
0: unheard of, Brian, we actually picked up new
1: customers. So we were already working with Merck in the biopharmaceutical space with plunger rods, but now we're actually doing assemblies also for other vaccines. So we picked up new Merck business we picked up new business with Volvo and Matt truck in the heavy truck space, as well as Unilever. So these are all new customers. And if you can imagine getting a new customer during a pandemic, they can't travel. That was really difficult. I mean, we were doing remote, we are doing Zoom, Microsoft Teams, and we actually picked up new business where we're gonna see triple digit growth um, again this year, just based on last year's new customers.
0: That's great. That really is. You know, and and we had talked prior to this about your business participating in procurement programs as a minority-owned business, right? Working with the Minority Supplier Diversity Development Council, I think is the name. Tell our listeners a little bit about the opportunities that being part of that group gave you, and then what advice would you have for other minority and even women-owned firms?
1: Sure. So I have to say, we've been a member of the National Minority Supplier Development Council since 2006, and we have to get recertified every year. And we get certified in the region called the Carolinas-Virginia Minority Supplier Development Council. Mm -hmm. So that's North, South Carolina, as well as Virginia. That group has really recognized us three times as the supplier of the year since 2009, most recently in 2020. But what I love about it is they make great introductions so we're not doing cold calls anymore. Um, Newell Rubbermaid back in 2010, they recommended us to Husqvarna. Husqvarna recommended us to Tycho Electronics. Tyco Electronics recommended us to BMW. BMW recommended us to Merck. Merck recommended us to Unilever. So it really works well when these organizations, they bid out um, certified, that have a sustainable business model they make the introductions. And then really as a minority supplier, it's up to you to to sell your business. At the end of the day, we still have to have quality. We still have to have on-time delivery. We have to have safety. Those things are very important. But at the end of the day, as a minority supplier, you still have to have those key metrics that are being measured and monitored. But it's really been a great organization to make these introductions. And we get a chance to showcase um, our skills.
0: Yeah, which is exactly, and it's funny, Jeff, I used to have a, a magazine called Winning Bids, which was all about the procurement programs available through the government and through large corporations. And I think I mentioned to you, my my sister has a, a woman-owned law firm and is part of NAMWOLF, which is the National Association of Minority and Women-Owned Law Firms. And for all of our Listeners out there who are either minority owned, veteran owned, women owned, disabled owned businesses, you know, there are real opportunities for you to showcase your business and to network through these uh, organizations and councils that exist. You know, there, there's an organization through, that works through the government. It's called OSDBU, uh, O S D B U, Office of Small and Disadvantaged Business Utilization, and you, they'll they'll expose you to every contract that's available to you through the FedBizOps.gov website. So if you're not taking advantage of that, that needs to be a priority. So kudos to you, Jeff, for all of the work that you've done. And I'm sure the councils, there's, there's a reason that you were named, you know, business of the year through the council, right? For three years, because everything that I hear from you, you are the standard for which an entrepreneurial company, like that's what they should shoot for. One of the things I want to talk to you about are your employees, because doing a little bit of research, I went on your website, and, you know, I see everything you're doing and I see your customers and then I click, I think it was, a, you know, who we are, you know, kind of like showcasing your employees. And what I love, first of all, it looks like the United Nations. You have men, women, black, white, old, young, Asian, Mexican, right? I mean, right. You, it seems like you got it all. But what I love is that under each of their names is a quote that they posted, and I'm sure, um, you know, that and they're all inspiring. I mean, it, it all seems like they love working for you. So tell us a little about it a little bit about your company culture, how you developed it, and how that's helped you through uh, the pandemic.
1: Yeah, and uh, I tell you, we have very low turnover, and you probably sense that through the website. I think it's really important, especially for other entrepreneurs, that you make your employees feel valued. That They don't want to leave. They don't want to go somewhere else for a dollar more an hour. They realize that the opportunities that they're getting here, they can't get somewhere else. They start talking to their friends and they're like, no, nah, I wouldn't leave. You can offer me another dollar, two dollars an hour. They see value in what we're doing here um, with the benefits, uh, life insurance. We pay their life insurance, uh, the 401k. I think as long as we continue to do that, you know, we work hard but we play hard. As you mentioned on our website, you see the diversity, and that's that's by design. That's not an accident. You know, we have black, white, Hispanic, uh, Mexican, African, uh, Guatemalan. We have gay. We have lesbian. Uh, we have a melting pot. I think what's pretty cool, Brian, is what I've learned over the last ten years is our customers see value in that. So if you go to one of our customer sites in Munich, everybody looks the same, everyone dresses the same, everyone thinks the same, and they get the same solution. Uh, When you put our group together, they think differently, they have different backgrounds, and they come up with different solutions, sometimes more efficient, better solutions that can be implemented pretty quickly, but they're different. And I think as long as we continue to get different solutions, we get better solutions mm-hmm. and our customers see value in that. And I didn't realize that 10 years ago until I started visiting other sites globally or even in, in America, mm-hmm. You know, they had the same employees, the same schools they went to and they're getting the same answers and which aren't always the best answer. So I think uh, we value diversity but it's really helped us grow our company with um, the people we bring in, and uh, again, that's purposely done. it's not it's not an accident.
0: And kudos to you. you know, a lot of times I talk about how diversity of thought and diversity and backgrounds is actually a competitive advantage in business. You know if you if everybody looks the same, thinks the same, acts the same, you're only going to get one angle or one viewpoint when you're looking at a problem or an opportunity when you have diversity, you can look at it from 360 degrees. And I think that's really probably a testament to your success as much as anything else. So kudos, kudos to you for that. Thank you. Let, let, me, let me pivot a little bit more now and, and talk about uh, supply chain. This We get a lot of feedback from our listeners who have businesses that or involved in, in supply chain in some way, shape or form. Either, you know, they're the the custo- the end customers of a, a supply chain where they're getting their stuff from China or overseas, uh, or they're participating in it uh, as vendors. Was your company supply chain affected by COVID? And if it was, what did you do to correct it? And And what lessons did you learn that you can carry over into 2021?
1: Right. So some of our suppliers were coming from Europe as well as China. So both of those areas, especially China, was impacted first, but I think Europe has been impacted the longest. Mm -hmm. So we were able to reshore, start producing the product here in the US or at our facility. So by reshoring, it kind of gives us a little more control of our destiny where we're not worried about product being stuck on a ship or even plants closed. A lot of our European suppliers are gonna be closed until the end of 21. So if we did not pivot and start producing our own, we were gonna be in a position to shut down our customers because we couldn't get product. So moving forward, we're looking for more opportunities to reshore or even bring product closer to us where we're trying to reduce the carbon footprint with our suppliers, so they're not burning up fuel driving across the country. We're getting it within a 60 to 100 mile radius. So those are the things that I learned in moving forward, um, being environmentally friendly and trying to reduce the carbon footprint. Uh, We've kind of killed a few birds with this stone um, because of a pandemic.
0: Right. In 2021, you have your plan, right? You have your plan of how you're going to achieve your goals, but maybe lessons learned from 2020 are have a plan B, have a plan C, even have a plan D.
1: Is that right? That's right. And then have a different um, diverse portfolio. So, you know, when I mentioned some of our customers, you'll see that we really have a diverse portfolio, even when automotive is down, medical is up or when aerospace is down, we're still doing outdoor lawn equipment. Um, during, due to the pandemic, people are buying home lawn equipment. is like crazy where we're supplying Husqvarna to Home Depot, Lowe's in Brazil. So people are buying equipment because they can't go to work, they're quarantined. So they work in the yard. So I think kind of what I learned in business school is to have a diverse portfolio, not just one market. But that really, you know, came to light again during this pandemic.
0: Yeah, great, great advice. We talk about that a lot. You know, if you've got more than twenty-five percent of your business with one customer or in one industry, uh, you know, and that industry or that client goes south, you know, that that's a huge hit to your your bottom line. And so, uh, yeah, again, looking at looking at your business you know it's it's hard for you to feel the weight of one industry or one client right that that right. It, it would take it would take a pandemic <laughs> which hopefully doesn't come around very often right but really a pandemic to to affect your business and even when it does you you responded in a way that kind of mitigated your downtime all right let me talk about one other area and that is finances because that's a, a a very important topic for our listeners. You know, we talked a little bit about some of the financial challenges that came as a result of the pandemic, right? You, Your clients uh, shut down for 30, 60 days, um, but you were able to get PPP money um, and uh, you, you're up and running and your business actually grew, that you, you were investing in your business while it sounds like, while your clients were down. You said, okay, we need to get ready for what the future may hold. Um, and, you, and you also talked about, again, with your customers, having not all of your eggs in one basket. What do you do financially? Do you, do you have a, like one main relationship with one bank? Do you um, have a, a, a number of relationships that allow you to kind of pick and choose the best options?
1: Right. That's a great question, Brian. And I've learned to diversify there also. So we actually have three financial institutions that we work with. And um, that's really been a great move because there are times where one was doing the PPP loan. Our main bank actually was not doing the PPP loan. Mm -hmm. So having those multiple uh, resources available, we could do a PPP loan or we could do a capital equipment loan with another bank But I think um, we were very strategic when we went after some of these uh, financial institutions a couple years ago. So I definitely wouldn't recommend having one financial institution, especially uh, with the COVID, um, you could get in a position where you couldn't get a PPP loan because your bank wasn't doing it. And if you went to a new bank during COVID, the chances of you getting a PPP loan were slim to none. If you were yeah. a new client, there was no relationship,
0: right? Yeah, yeah. You know that's that my dad used to say when the chances are slim to none, and slim just left town. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, and yeah, that that's COVID is not the time where you want to start exploring new financial relationships. So, lesson learned there. Um, you know, looking at your business in twenty twenty one you know, where are the weak spots? Where, where you know, I have too much of my business with one client or in one industry. I only have one banking relationship. I don't have an emergency fund or access to a credit line. All of these things are questions that business owners need to ask themselves, right? But, right. And today would be a good time to do that. Um, all right. So, so, let's let's look forward to a little bit. we're kind of in the home stretch now of the of the podcast which always goes too fast when i have great guests uh but but where we are today the, the pandemic is still wreaking havoc in the u.s and, and in global economies uh but there's hope that the vaccines will provide some sort of normalcy in the, at least the second half right we're starting to see some results but um people are are looking at 2021 in in terms of two halves. How how do you set your company goals this year, knowing that there'll be this significant change in not only the US economy, but in global economies?
1: Yeah, I have to say, Brian, we've actually doubled down with our bet into the biological pharmaceutical. So we're gonna see triple digit growth just in that area. So we're making investments in our injection molding for clean room. We're actually doubling our capacity. So we're building an additional clean room that'll be done in April in Q2. So we're really focused on the areas that are seeing growth. We've got long-term contracts and not putting as much focus in the aerospace and some of the areas that were impacted uh, possibly longer. Our, Our aerospace customers are saying we might not see purchase orders until 2022 Mm-hmm. So, you know, that that's a year out. However, we've got purchase orders now that we don't even have enough capacity to produce for the vaccine space. Wow. So that that's a good problem to have. I want you to understand that. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm thankful for that. However, we're really making our investment there because we believe long-term that's going to be the area of growth. And I think the pandemic just helped uncover that, that we were headed down the right path, but we're even going to double up on our bets in the biological pharmaceutical because of vaccines
0: and so um, you know th- another question I'm thinking from my listeners' perspective how do you finance that growth is that is that through um, uh, are you are you financing it saying look we've got these contracts is that coming through are they paying you up front is it a retainer H- how does that work
1: initially it was just financing up front. But now it's getting to a point where they see the value. We have some um, credibility where they're paying for some of this up front. So when they say we need more capacity, they're supporting us financially. And when that happens, that's a great problem again that we're not having to borrow more money to have this growth, and we can grow a, a lot quicker when they're just writing a check versus us going to uh, borrow money.
0: Right. Right. And and that takes time. Obviously, you need to time. have a couple of wins before that, before somebody steps up and do that. Well, Jeff, this is really, I appreciate you taking time today because I think you are a, an incredible entrepreneur. I can see why you won all of these awards. And I love hearing about your company's success. Um, why, don't, why don't we do this? Last question. Um, I always like to ask my guests you know give me one or two takeaways that that you can share with our listeners. So why don't we do this? Let's let's look at 2020 and and what are one or two of the biggest lessons that you learned uh you know in a year that started off on a strong note but what quickly went over a cliff in March. So what what are your biggest takeaways that you're going to apply to 2021?
1: Right? I think we're going to continue to look for suppliers that are in our region. So we don't want to get in a position again where we're getting materials from Europe or China only, and we have to reshore because that takes time also. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the um, takeaways. Try to get our supply chain closer to us. Another takeaway, you know, really was learning your employees. So you know, when you ask people how your kids doing, you know, they have two kids, you know, didn't really understand what that meant. As far as homeschooling, you know, some of the anxieties, we have some employees there, their children entered, you know, kindergarten last year, you know, they were going through some real anxiety that these kids were getting homeschooled in kindergarten and they were coming home and trying to be the teacher. So really trying to understand that, hey, how can we help? You know, can we do some tutoring for some of the middle school who are struggling with their math and learning calculus? So not just saying, hey, how are your kids? But I think really understanding what their situation is and, and COVID really helped us uh, develop that relationship where it's more of a family relationship. You know, your kids need help and we're gonna try to help them. They don't work here, but we're gonna try to help them. I think those are the key takeaways that I hope that we can continue to do that we can kind of fill the gap for some of our employees who have needs that you, know, you really wouldn't know about. They go home, they come to work, And you don't think about the next 12 hours, what they're doing with their family or trying to do or trying to accomplish or daycares concerns that they have. So I think just really trying to better understand our employees has been the key takeaway for me.
0: We're going to end it right there, (laughs) because (laughs) that is. You know, that is one of the great mysteries that the pandemic exposed a little bit is mental health issues at work. And whether you're dealing with them personally and you're struggling, you have anxiety, depression, or maybe something more severe, like bipolar uh, disorders, or there's somebody in your house that's struggling and you're the caregiver, um, I mean, that's a whole separate podcast discussion that we can and probably should have that, I, that I'd like to bring you back. Uh, sure. But, go
1: ahead.
0: No, sure. I'd love to
1: be part of that. Thank you.
0: Yeah. You, you know, that, that is, and, and, and it's just, it's, I think it's one more example of why you are as successful as you are, um, because I will tell you, not a lot of companies will go that extra mile to not only ask, you know, hey, how are you doing? How, how's everything going? You know, that, that's kind of a throwaway question, you know, that, that you say in the morning, because you don't, you're not really asking them, what are the biggest struggles you're dealing with right now? Right. Because it sounds like you realize that they bring those problems to work, and it affects their productivity. And that you oh, know that, that's right. that, that somebody who is more productive at home is going to be more productive at work and they're going to appreciate it more. There's that loyalty, lower turnover. And so what you do now, you make that investment now and that pays off over and over and over again, especially in a time where something like COVID hits and it tests the relationship that employers have with their employees. I'm so glad you brought that up. And I think that that is definitely something we're going to cover some more. So for everybody listening, look for that uh, podcast coming up probably in the next month or so. Uh, but Jeff, you, you've given us a lot to think about. You, um, I love the answers. Uh, I love talking to you about your company. Like I said, I'm, I'm waiting for that Oscar. Uh, that that's probably 2024, 2025. Um, and, uh, and and I, until then, I wish you the best of luck and continued success in 2021. I wanna thank, of course, Pitney Bowes Financial Services for sponsoring today's podcast. They're a fantastic company. They're a true champion for small and mid-sized businesses. And I'll put something on our podcast page where you can learn more about them. And then lastly, I wanna thank our listeners for your time, for your great questions and your comments. And your suggestions to do more you know, entrepreneurial spotlights so we can talk to people like Jeff. So keep them coming. And um, I'll see you next week for another edition of the Small Business Edge podcast with Brian Moran. Until then, have a great day, everybody. Stay safe. You've been listening to the Small Business Edge podcast with Brian Moran, sponsored by Pitney Bowes. Please visit our website, smallbusinessedge.com for a listing of future podcasts.